We're going to begin a series through the book of Romans. Pause for applause. (laughs) Darren says, it's just like Christmas, because we're starting Romans. People love them some Romans. The book of Romans is great. It's considered to be uh, one of the most thorough explanations of the gospel in all of Scripture. People refer to it as Paul's masterpiece, his teaching uh, about Christ and salvation that is just, ah, people love it. You thought when we studied Ephesians this fall that people were excited about getting to study a beloved book of the Bible. Well, Ephesians is like Pearl Jam opening for the Rolling Stones. Romans is the Rolling Stones, in case you have trouble following that uh, illustration. Romans is where you get such gems as, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's, there's more. If I read something that you go, yeah, that's my verse right there, feel free to give an amen uh, or a shout of excitement. Uh, it's where you get verses like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, chapter 5, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any amens for peace with God? Amen. Fantastic. I want that. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what happened? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans six twenty three, a fantastic gospel summary verse. For the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, man, I told you people like Romans. 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What? Are you saying it with me, or did I say it wrong? Sorry, it sounded like you corrected me for a minute. That doesn't go over well. I'll just tell you up front. And then we get into Romans 12, and now it's like, awesome, Now what do we do with this? We're going to go and we're going to live it out. And we hear, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be by the renewing of your mind. One of my oldest friends in the world called me up yesterday and he's like, hey, Jacob, I just want to check in. I'm moving from Seattle to Ventura. I'm going to live on a sailboat for three months. And I said, wow, that's awesome. I'm excited for you. And he said, check this out. I was really nervous about this move, and I was just really anxious, just feeling a lot of anxiety and and pressure to get it right, and I wasn't sure what to do. And then, and this is his words, so you can ask him what he meant by it. He said, YouTube told me that I should read all of Romans. And I said, okay, tell me more about that. He's like, I'd never read all of Romans, but I felt like I should read it. So I read it from start to finish, and it gave me this amazing sense of peace. He said, Romans is awesome. And I said, I know. Did I tell you that I'm starting a sermon series on Romans tomorrow? And he's like, whoa! I think his mind blew up when he found that out. But he quoted this verse. He said, I'd never heard that before. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. That makes so much sense. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This book is awesome. He said after reading it, it gave him peace. And he's on his way down there right now to go live on a sailboat. Uh, Romans is a wellspring of valuable biblical teaching and joyful exposition about salvation in Christ. There is so much in the book of Romans. John Piper famously preached through the book of Romans verse by verse, and it took him eight and a half years. 
I was in high school when he started doing that. And I was married and well into grad school by the time he finished. The contents of Romans have been discussed, debated, delivered, dissected. Romans is great. But with its weighty passages and its deep theology, it is kind of easy to get overwhelmed when studying Romans. It's easy to get burnt out or get weary following Paul's train of thought and his thorough arguments. So six years from now, when we finally get to the therefore at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, we might not have enough energy or interest to follow its practical instructions for Christian living. When we focus too much on the little details of Romans 1 through 11, we lose sight of Romans' context and its purpose. We forget that Romans was written to specific Christians who were facing specific challenges at a specific time. We forget that Romans originally was read out loud to a church in one setting. We treat Romans like a law book, which it isn't. And if you're familiar with Paul's teachings in the book of Romans, you see that it's ironic that anybody ever thought it should be treated like a law book in the first place. We forget the pastoral aspect of this letter, and instead we think of it like just a theological treatise. Roman becomes a head experiment that leaves nothing for our hearts or our hands. When we lose sight of this context in which the letter was written, it can negatively affect how we interpret, understand, and apply its message. It's part of the challenge of Romans. So Scott McKnight wrote a book called Reading Romans Backwards, and he suggests that studying the end of Romans and then working your way back helps you avoid this fatigue and potential misapplication when you study Romans. And then he says it also helps make sense of why Paul chooses specific topics that are treated in chapters 1 through 8. And so, that's what we're going to do in our series on Romans. We are going to read Romans in reverse. We're going to start today with Romans chapter 16. And then next week, you get a guest preacher, our very own Justin Garza. He is going to... Oh, you can chick clap for Justin. He's going to lead us through Romans 14 and 15. And then I'm going to come back. Now you clap for me. Good job. And we're going to look at Romans 13. And then we're going to look at Romans 12. And then we're going to jump to 9 through 11 and that fantastic little piece about how the, the Gentiles are the ingrafted branches and Paul's heart and all his hope for the Jewish people. And then, and only then, are we going to listen to 1 through 8. We are going to read it backwards. We're not going to study it verse by verse, and it certainly is not going to take us eight and a half years. Our goal in this series is not to learn or master Romans, but to understand it. To listen for how Paul's message to the church in Rome can inspire and challenge this church here in Livermore. To see that Christ is at the center of Paul's motivation for planting churches, for sharing the gospel, for mentoring Christians. We're going to listen, and we're going to see what we can learn from its wisdom. So today, as we begin our journey through the book of Romans, we don't start with chapter 1. We don't start with Paul's initial greetings. We don't start with total depravity, but we start with Phoebe. 
the letter carrier. Paul's message from himself to the churches in Rome. Paul tells us about Phoebe in chapter 16. Paul tells us that Phoebe is a deacon in the church in Cancrea, which is on the eastern port of Corinth. We know from first century texts that Phoebe was more than just the mailman. It's not like, oh, I'm heading that way anyway. I'll just drop the letter off on my way to Spain or something like that. That's not the role that she played. Phoebe would have been the one to have read the letter out loud when the church in Rome gathered. Phoebe was with Paul when he wrote the letter. Paul would have given Phoebe specific instructions on how to speak certain phrases. He might have said to her as it was being written, now, when you read this part, I want you to look this person in the eye. And after you say this particular section, I want you to pause for effect. Just let it sink in after you say it. It's likely that Phoebe would have had this letter memorized by the time she arrived in Rome. And it's also likely that as she read this letter, she wasn't as, the, the, the church may not have been as polite as you guys are to just let me speak and keep speaking without interrupting. They may have had some questions. Wait a minute, what do you mean about that? What is that supposed to mean? Or how are we supposed to do that? Phoebe was the one who was prepared to respond to those questions. She knew the letter. She knew Paul's theology. She was not just the letter deliverer. She was the teacher, the proclaimer of the theology that we have in Romans. And so here we have Phoebe, a deacon, a church leader, the person to whom Paul entrusted his masterpiece, standing up before the church and becoming the first person ever to read and teach Paul's letter to Roman Christians. So as we begin this morning, I want you to listen to these words, but I want you to hear it through a female voice. I've asked Lisa if she would come up here today and be our Phoebe as we hear Romans in reverse. I want you to listen to the last page of Paul's letter to the Roman churches. Good morning. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa those women who work hard in the Lord, and my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, 
Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote the letter down, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, he sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, sends you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, at this point, some of you might not be so on board with this whole reading Romans in reverse thing. You might be thinking, Jacob, chapter 16 is just a list of people's names. It's kind of boring. It's the part of the Bible that I normally skip over. It's kind of like the, the credits of a movie. A lot of people, the movie's over, directed by, and then here come all these names of people who helped out. I don't want to sit through that. I don't care about those people. I'm out of here. Most people don't read the names at the end of a movie. Unless it's a Marvel movie, and then you'll sit through them, but that's only because you want to get to the secret scene that's at the end that sort of previews the next Marvel movie. But my guess is, even if you do that, you're not reading those names, and you're not taking them in. At the beginning of a book, an author will usually thank a bunch of people who helped support them as the book was taking shape. And when I'm reading a book, I usually skip that section. And my guess is, you skip that section as well. I was reading a book one time, and the author specifically said, it was the preface of the book, and then it got to the part where he was going to thank a bunch of people. And he specifically said, now you might want to skip this part, but these people are important to me, so do me a favor and just read their names. Because I want you to know about them. Even though you don't know them, they're important to me, so read their names. And I did. <laughs> I normally don't. Because he said, no, 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 read these names. I didn't want to get in trouble if I flipped to chapter one. And he's like, you didn't read the names. I said, okay, I'll read, I'll read the names. I think 
in the same way. Reading Romans 16 is important because these people are important to Paul. They're the ones who have helped shape the message about Christ that we have in Romans. If we skip over them, or if we read Romans 1-8 through without understanding the role they played in Paul's life and Paul's ministry, then we run the risk of misreading Romans. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but we can learn a lot about the church in Rome when we read Romans 16. We hear the names of 24 people who were part of the five, at least five, house churches of Christians that met together in the city of Rome, which, remind you, was the imperial capital of the Roman world. This was the belly of the beast. And this was well before any basilicas or cathedrals existed in Rome. We know from other historical records that these house churches were probably not much larger than 20 or 25 people per. So when you think about it, this message that was being communicated to the churches in Rome, if they all gathered together, they would be about the size of the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. Kind of similar to us. In chapter 16, you hear some very Jewish-sounding names, like Mary, and you hear those alongside some very Roman-sounding names, like Urbanus, which, by the way, Urbanus means urban guy, or you could, you could translate it city slicker. In Romans 16, we meet couples like Priscilla and Aquila, like Andronicus and Junia, whom Paul says are outstanding among the apostles. This couple spent time with Paul when he was in prison. And we come to find out they were Christians even before he was. So there's some wisdom in this congregation. Some people that we can learn from. He references people who work hard in the Lord, like Tryphena and Tryphosa. Two women whom Fred Craddock says, they got to be twin sisters, right? You just know they're twins. Tryphena, Tryphosa. Tryphena shows up early every week and makes the coffee. Tryphosa is the one always sharing her faith in the marketplace. These may be a list of people that we don't know, but when you see all of their names and their descriptions together, you kind of get a sense of what this church was like. It's kind of like looking at an old photograph of a church from another era. You don't really know these people, but you can relate to them. You may have something in common with these people. These are all people who took a risk on something that was new and not yet clearly defined in Rome. These were rich people alongside poor people, slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, men and women with marching orders from Jesus the Messiah that oftentimes defied cultural norms. It was different than what they were used to. They were all just kind of figuring it out together. And they may have had their differences, but the one thing that they had in common was Christ, and they were committed to being his church. This is what we see. The majority of chapter 16 is names. It's the church. And in verses 1 through 15, people get their shout-outs. But then in verse 16, they're all instructed by Paul to do something specifically. Did you pick up on what it was? Paul tells them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All of you people, all the people that I mentioned, all the people that I named, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to continue greeting one another with that holy kiss. Now, this is kind of weird, but not for the reasons you might think. You know, if I got up here and was like, before we leave today, everybody kiss everybody else, you would think that is weird in the the legitimate sense. But remember, it was not as weird culturally for them. But it's weird 
if what Paul is referring to is just the standard kiss of greeting. And you may hear that and go, well, yeah, that's how people greeted each other back then. You know, a kiss kind of like they do in Europe. That, that's how it was in the first century, which is true. But I think Paul is talking about something more specific here. It's weird if Paul is just saying, hey, make sure you guys do the stuff that everybody does automatically anyway. That would be weird instructions. But I think this is more than just, hey, give Lisa a hug for me when you see her. This is the kiss of the saints that was practiced by early Christians. We read about this in in the scriptures. Paul mentions this in several of his letters. Make sure you greet one another with the kiss of peace or the kiss of love, as it's sometimes called. Peter mentions this in his letter. What is it? Well, like we saw last week, it's common for people to greet each other as like a greeting of welcome. Remember Jesus in the home of Simon? He said, hey, you forgot to give me a kiss. That's a way of honoring the guest in your home. This was more. This was a kiss of unity. It was a bonding kiss that shows that you come from the same family. And it was something that was practiced by Christians for generations after the the time of the Roman church that we read about. In an Easter sermon from the 5th century, Augustine explains this specific Christian greeting by saying this. He's describing the Christian gathering and the worship service. He says, after the Lord's Prayer comes the greeting, peace be with you, and Christians kiss one another with the holy kiss. And then he he explains this is what it is. It's a sign of peace. What is indicated by the lips should happen in the conscience. That is, just as your lips approach the lips of your brothers or sisters, so your heart should not be withdrawn from theirs. It was a bonding expression. It was a commitment to unity. Why is this something that Paul makes it a point to mention here, and why is it so important to him? Because it's about unity. Because unity was key for Paul. This is a plea to be one in Christ. That's why Paul says in other places of this letter, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And he also says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. What Paul wants this church to hear is don't stop loving each other. Just like at the end of a movie or at the beginning of a book, we can easily say, I don't care about these people. I'm going to skip over them. I'm going to disregard them. I'm going to get to the part that I like, the part that I am interested in. In the same way, we can develop that attitude in the church. And this was an attitude that the church in Rome was demonstrating. People were saying, I can still worship God. I don't care about those uncircumcised Gentiles flaunting their freedoms, strutting around like they own the place. And then on the other side, people were saying, I can still worship God. I don't care about those Jews who are stuck in the past with their rituals and their legalism, strutting around like they own the place. Paul says, Being in Christ means you don't say those kinds of things. Being in Christ means that you know that Jesus owns the place. Listen to the very next verse after he tells them, don't forget to practice the Christian kiss of peace. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions among you and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings that you have learned. Watch out for them, he said. Keep away from them. Paul cares about those people that are listed in Romans 16. So we should care about them too. But not just those people that we read about in Scripture, but these people 
that we sit next to in church. Take a look around. These people. These are the people I'm referring to. You guys. One another. Unity in a church that is constantly tempted to divide is a demonstration of lives that put the desires of Christ above personal desires. This is a foundational concern for Paul in Romans. The church being a group of people whose actions are shaped by their identity in Christ. And the church in Rome is trying to do what all churches are tempted to do, and that is hand-selecting. I'll say that again. The church in Rome is doing what all churches are tempted to do, hand-selecting. You're in, you're out. I'll eat with you, don't really want to eat with you, or even have a conversation with you. You're in, you're in, you're out, you're out, 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 out. That's the temptation. But Paul comes along and says, that's not the way of Christ. And I think that chapter 16 is a beautiful opportunity for Phoebe to stand in front of this church and to read these names out loud as she looks these people in the eye and for the people to kind of get it. Oh, we're the church. We're Christ's expression in the world of love. We're, we're, we're proof that this experiment actually works. It's an opportunity for these Christians in Rome to maybe recognize a name. When she reads someone's name, oh, it's the person who's sitting next to me. Maybe you put an arm around them and go, yeah, you do make the coffee. <laughs> you do share your faith. You do a lot of good work for the Lord. I'm glad that you're part of this church. It's an opportunity to look around the room and go, yeah, this is, this is our church. This is what Christ had in mind. If I'm being honest and I was handpicking a church, some of you guys would not make the cut. I'm sorry. Oh, and I should have said uh, no offense before I said that, so I'll say it after. No offense, but if I'm being honest, some of you wouldn't make the cut. Do you want to know why? Because you're too old. Or because you're too high maintenance. Or because you like country music. Or because you're too churchy. Or because you're not churchy enough. Or the list could go on. But that's the truth. And I believe if you were handpicking a church, I might not make some of your cut as well. But that's not how church works. It turns out the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. It turns out God's ways are higher than our ways. <laughs> it turns out the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, am I going to try to fix the church? Am I going to try to hand-select my own church? Am I going to try to come up with a better one? Or am I going to trust that this is God's vehicle that he chose to bring his message of salvation into the world? That's the question and the challenge that's before me. So there's this local newspaper in a little town, 14,000 people, Dunn, North Carolina. It's a little newspaper called The Daily Record. And as they were comparing newspapers and, and their sub subscriber rates and their, their uh, percentage of, of penetration in the community, 
they came to find out that this small newspaper has one of the highest in the country. They have a 112 cent penetration rate, which in the newspaper world means that over 100% of the population is reading, subscribing to, buying on a daily basis this little newspaper. Now, how does that even work? That math doesn't make sense. Well, in order to have more than 100%, that means the people from outside the community are subscribing or buying your newspaper, or that the people within the community are buying more than one copy per household. But here are the numbers, 112%. And people got curious and said, how is a, is a newspaper that has no credibility, no national notoriety, how are they able to do that? And they asked the editor-in-chief, and he said, well, there's three things that we focus on here. Names, names, and names. And they said, what do you mean? He said, our commitment is just to covering local stories. People who live in this community want to hear about what's going on with other people. They want names that they recognize. They open up their newspaper and they look for the name of someone who lives down the street from them. Oh, I know them. That's Muriel's son. Oh, this is great. Names, names, names. I was thinking about my interaction with the names of the people at Tri-Valley this week. I interact with a lot of people from this church. And a lot of names come up. And as I just think back on this week, I realize how they come into my life. And it's not just a list of names that I get. It kind of represents itself that way in an email or in a text or a list that somebody might write out. But these names represent something that's more. I was thinking how... On Mondays, the benevolence crew shows up, and they take a little attendance chart. They bring it to my office every single week. Rosemary will walk down. She'll say, oh, here's the list this week. Here's who we wrote cards to. Here are the people who showed up and helped out. And I read names like Joe and Joy, like Val, Marion, June, Julia, Carrie, Diane, Rosemary. I think of the people who meet in my house on Wednesday nights for our discipleship group. The Bearings, Amanettis, the Gibsons, Michaela, and Josh. And then I open up my email and I get an email from Jan Higdon. She's got all these prayer requests and people to keep in mind and people who we're praying for, people who have people we want to be prayed for, like Midori and George and Rosie, like Anne, Michelle, Joyce, Ginger, John Rogers, Doug and Therese, the Pembertons, Babs. Think of the names of our missionaries, Dick and Maudine and Rania and Orion and Brad. I think of Donna McKenzie, who runs the Livermore Homeless Refuge that we partner with and they use our building. I think of the prayers that my girls led at the dinner table this week and they pray for people like Joe Curtis, Joyce Doty, Betty, Sarah, who's pregnant, and Sarah, who's pregnant, and then another Sarah who is also pregnant. <laughs> I walk through my kitchen and I see the photograph on my fridge of the West Coast Girls Conference. And look, there's Kara, there's Evie, there's Michaela, Kylan, Kai, and Ocean. I sent Jasmine Garza a birthday video on Friday because it was her birthday. In preparation for this Sunday, I exchanged a lot of texts and emails with Michelle and Sandra and Brittany and Justin and Sarah and Ryan and John and Kent and Amanda and Lisa and Kristen and Dick and Bill rallies the praise team with people like Kristen and Trish and Brett and Jim and Rachel. 
And this is more than just a list of names, right? This is our church. And our purpose is not to sell newspapers. I let you in on what our purpose is earlier. Helping the world know and love Jesus Christ. And we are God's proof of concept that people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus can love one another and live out God's purposes in this world. And so, I think it's appropriate for us to start our journey through Romans with the church because that's where faith for so many of us started. And so, as a reminder of the unity that we are called to have as Christians, we are going to take a group photo after service. As soon as we are done, I want to encourage all of you, stick around to make your way on this stage. We're going to clear off a lot of these obstacles and tripping hazards. We're going to put some chairs down here in the front for those of you who can't stand for very long. We want you to be comfortable. And then Dick Jones is going to climb up on a ladder in the middle of the room, and he's going to take our picture. And it's going to be this concrete reminder for all of us of who we are called to be and the unity that we're called to have as the family and as the body of Christ. And if you're not real excited about standing for a group picture, the alternative option is that we bring back the kiss of peace and we all start uh, letting our, our, our lips be a sign of a close conscience. All right, now you're on board with the picture. Good. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to studying Romans with you together. Let's stand and worship God.